MacCast, Sunday, January 2nd, 2022. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is a show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast in a brand new year. Welcome to 2022. Yeah, here we go again. More Apple Mac news and information and stuff. Just time rolls on in another year. Glad to be back here with you for another episode of the MacCast. Actually, this is going to be a little bit different in this episode. I kind of took the last week and just did some reflecting, took some time with my family, did some relaxing you know, every once in a while, even us podcasters, we need a little bit of downtime, a little bit of time off. And I hope you got a chance to maybe do that as well. And because of that, I don't have a lot for you in this episode. I hadn't done a lot of prep. But what I do have is um, some audio from an event that I did recently. I actually did a presentation with my friend Ken Ray from Mac OS Ken for the Silicon Valley Macintosh users group. And we did something interesting. Interesting. We took a look back at all the top Apple stories of 2021. So I thought this would be a good episode to do some reflection on, share with you a fun thing I did with my friend Ken Ray from Mac OS Ken, and uh, let you hear what we thought were some of the top stories of 2021 were. So should be a lot of fun. And we're just going to roll right into it. Hi, everybody. I'm Ken Ray, host of Mac OS Cat, and that's Adam Christensen. Say hi, Adam. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm host of MacCast. So uh, Linda was kind enough to ask uh, me many, many months ago uh, if I would do this. So um, when we were talking about what we were going to do, yeah, since this is the last one for the year, Linda actually suggested that we hit some of the uh, biggest stories of uh, 2021 for Apple. Thought it would be fun actually to start with a couple of guys that I like. Uh, 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 Piper Jaffrey, former Piper Jaffrey analyst Gene Munster. He's now the principal of Loop Ventures. And uh, TF International analyst Ming Chi Kuo both had these things that were in the very first Mac OS count of 2021, where they made predictions for uh, 2021, which it turns out was an impossible year about which to make predictions. And yet they sort of did okay. So let's go through some of Gene Munster's really quickly. Uh, he said that Apple would benefit from the accelerating digital transformation. Uh, his whole thing was our dependency on tech is accelerated because of the pandemic. While the velocity of this adoption may ease post-pandemic, were we ever so young? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it might you know, ease post <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, and then and then and then again. Uh, our view is that much of uh, the change is sustainable moving forward, is what he said. I mean, and and what he's what he's talking about is absolutely right. Even when people started to go back to work in the middle of the summer, there were still a lot of offices that were like, "Yeah, we're done with the whole coming back to work thing." Uh, there were lots of people that went hybrid as well. Lots of places that went hybrid. So obviously, Apple's hardware is going to keep being uh, cherry as far as the work from home crew. Uh, he said that we should expect uh, fiscal year 2022 street estimates to inch higher. Linda mentioned this a moment ago. This is absolutely happening right now. People are raising their price targets as high as $210 in some cases um, for reasons that are half of it's iPhone and Mac and adoption of hardware that's out there right now. And then half of it is the rumors that Linda was talking about, uh, which we'll talk about too. 
um, 5G to initiate multi-year iPhone upgrade cycle. Can I ask you a question, Adam? Yeah. Would you know the difference between an upgrade cycle for iPhone at this point? <laughs> it seems like it's hard to tell. I mean, it used to be the solid every two years because we had the right. S phones, but now now we don't. So it gets much more confusing and, and muddled. Right. Especially because now you've got people holding onto their phones for so long. Who is it? It's a Wedbush analyst. Daniel Ives says, generally speaking, there's anywhere between 250 million and 300 million iPhones that are ripe for upgrade. And they're only a billion, only a billion. But I mean, I mean, there's a billion <laughs> divided by three is like 300, 333 million. Right. Right. So you're constantly in a place where one third of your audience is ready for more. And so how you can say uh, this is kicked in the upgrade cycle or, you know, it, it's a year that ends in a number. Um, Munster also predicted new business segments. Um, he was thinking specifically about hardware and services as a subscription bundle, which we haven't gotten to yet, but I feel like things like business essentials from Apple. There was another program they just introduced a couple of weeks ago, I think, that sort of had sort of that same feeling. The other new business segment that he was talking about was either the car or transportation. He was not saying that either of those things were going to happen in 2021. He was, however, saying that Wall Street was going to start paying attention to those things, which is what we talked about a minute ago with Wall Street sort of anticipating a better 2022. You also had, uh, I think I talked about this in a bit, or going to talk about this in a bit, but you had Morgan Stanley analyst Katie Huberty issue a note earlier this week. I think that's down here somewhere. So I'm not going to do that quite yet. She's basically saying, yeah, okay, everything that Apple is already doing is great, but we need to start thinking about the stuff that Apple is going to do because there's there are things that we know they're going to do, even though we don't know it, but we all do. And, you know, pay no attention to the actual Apple television, which we also all knew. Everybody can't be right all the time. As far as CF International Analyst Ming-Chi Kuo, his hardware predictions included the long-awaited AirTags item trackers, which Adam is going to talk about more in depth in a bit, an unspecified augmented reality device, which, you know, he was wrong about the year. But as I said earlier, it was easy to be wrong about 2021. Uh, we'll talk more about the uh, AR thing in a bit, because that somehow, despite the fact that it doesn't exist, is one of the biggest stories of 2021, I think. Um he also said new AirPods, uh, some more Apple Silicon Macs, which uh, Adam is going to talk about that in a bit, and uh, Apple's first mini LED displays throughout the year. So that's the kind of thing that we were looking for this year. What's funny is the only mention in any of that about COVID is when we're done with it. And it's kind of a bummer that we have to talk about it, but that's, I personally think, one of the biggest stories for Apple of 2022 uh, we discussed whether we wanted to, you know, count up to, let's start with a small story and then with the biggest, but then you're ending with COVID and that's no way to say happy holidays, everybody. So we'll go ahead and get the ugly one out of the way. Um, I say ugly. It feels to me, and I want to ask you again as well, Adam, um, sure. they're like nailing the pre-recorded presentation at this point. Like, I, I know there are people who, you know, would fly out and would be invited and they're all happy to see each other and they're all happy to be in the room and they're all happy to go and, you know, touch the thing as soon as it's all over. Uh, the thing being the product that they announced, not, you know, like a Blarney Stone in Cupertino or something. <laughs> um, I, I never want to go back to that. 
I love the the pre-recorded presentations because you get all of the information. It just it just zips along. So I mean, yeah. I don't know. What are your what's your thought on it? And the efficiency. Well, personally, I was never invited before anyway. So <laughs> yeah, me neither. Like, you and I were yeah. always virtual. But yeah, no, I think I feel like it's much more polished. We get a lot more of the information a lot more directly. And um, God, Apple does a really good job of it. Mm-hmm. It's just a shame that they built an entire theater dedicated to Steve Jobs and it hasn't seen much so much use. Did they? So I hope they get I hope they get I do hope they get back to that. Like I, I do. I think I think what we might see is as a mix at some point in the future, you know, like a little bit of pre pre-done and a and a little bit of in person. I do hope we get back to that someday because we all know like connecting physically and, and and directly is much better than the virtual stuff at the end of the day. Well, social distancing since 2008 is, you know, <laughs> what I say. But uh, so then so then talk to me about WWDC, because that's kind of the same thing. I mean, on the one hand, and I know there is nothing like being in the halls. I mean, I say I know I'm not a developer. I know there's nothing like being in the halls with all those people and running into somebody and overhearing somebody and talking about that. At the same time, what did you have? Like 5,000 people at most could go to WWDC. And now it's however many millions, you know, have an account and want to sit down and watch. Right. I mean, there you go. There's a good example of a hybrid model that seems to work well, right? I mean, maybe not everybody's totally thrilled with it if you want to actually be there, but yeah. You know, I think it proves that it proves the theory that it can work. As far as the work from home thing um, and Apple and COVID, they seem to have done fairly well with that. I know there are lots of people who are upset about coming back in. I have a friend who works for Apple retail, and I don't think he has seen the inside of a retail store in quite a while. The work he does, he is actually mostly doing from home, although I think around the time of the iPhone launch, he did have to go back in for a bit. Apple's actually opened several new stores throughout this year. Um, I had the good fortune of being able to actually get my uh, picture taken with Tim Cook at the Tower Theater uh, location in L.A., which was uh, it's a beautiful location, which I don't intend to go to again anytime soon. They also opened a new store in the Grove, which I got to go to, which is it's amazing like how different the stores are. I mean, there are so many things that are exactly the same, but those two stores architecturally couldn't be any more different when I heard that they'd open one. If you don't know what the Grove is, it's basically an outdoor mall and it's like, okay, great. It's another mall Apple store. And it's honestly, if it wins an award next year for its architecture, I won't be surprised because it, it feels like it doesn't feel like you're in a mall. It doesn't feel like you're in Southern California. I don't know what what it feels like, but kind of incredible. So they've been able to keep doing that. The big story probably is Apple's ability to execute in these weird times, especially when you have the supply chain issues, especially when you have the chip shortages and things like that. And in thinking about that for tonight, the thing that I thought about was actually something that happened in 2005. Um, Apple in 2005, when I was first doing Apple News for Inside Mac, locked up three years of Flash and at the time, all they were using Flash for was, I believe, the iPod Shuffle and maybe the iPod Nano. Why, why did they need three years of Flash? It didn't make any sense to me. And I kept walking around and bugging people I knew who were interested in Apple and saying, why are they locking up three years of Flash? Well, it turns out they were, locking up, <laughs> yeah, they were locking up three years of Flash for the iPhone, it turns out, because 
the iPhone launched in 2007 and doing a three-year deal for Flash in 2005 got them through 2008. So that got them through the iPhone 3G. They were making deals for a thing that we didn't even know existed. And and Flash, I don't know if anybody remembers, but at the time it was it was back and forth where it was not available. It was too expensive. People who make it would glut the market with it. And then suddenly they were practically giving it away in breakfast cereal. So executing in weird times is a thing that Apple knows how to do. But there's nothing as weird as, you know, what's going on now as far as supply chain and stuff. It's really great that Apple can throw its weight around. I mean, I say throw its weight around like it's bad. I mean, they are the biggest customer on the planet. When the biggest customer on the planet comes and says, hey, I'm going to need more of this. If you've got more of that, you're probably going to give it to them. And if the second business biggest customer says, hey, that was mine. I mean, it's you know, kind of a dragon. I'm kind of sorry. The question is, can Apple keep executing? Not because is something going to go wrong with Apple, but eventually you run out of finite material. So are the chip shortages going to come back around to a place where it's not hurting what Apple is trying to put out? Um, it's interesting that Apple chose to, we think, Apple chose to throw the iPad under the under the bus for this holiday season. They actually said on the last earnings call, on the fourth quarter earnings call for fiscal year 2021, that all of their products were going to do great except for iPad. iPad was going to lose uh, lose sales. Numbers were going to go down on iPad because they weren't going to have enough to go around. And it seemed kind of weird that they could know that, except then they were just like, we're going to have all the iPhones you're ever going to need. We're going to have all the Macs you're ever going to need. We're sacrificing. They did not say that they were sacrificing iPad for that. It's just iPad is the one thing where they know they're going to fall. And conjecture is that the reason that's falling is because uh, they've sacrificed uh, components and who knows, maybe even um, work capacity to keep making iPhones. Or is there something else coming? That's the one weird thing because Linda mentioned the AR thing earlier. There are some people who say we're going to get an AR announcement in spring um, uh, TF International analyst Ming-Chi Kuo actually says that we're not going to get that now until the uh, the fall or maybe even the winter. But Apple locked up three years of Flash a year and a half before they needed as much Flash as they locked up. Are we sacrificing iPad for iPhone? Or is that the kind of deal that Apple would have gone ahead and made in you know March or June, knowing what September and December were going to be like? And did iPad get sacrificed for something else? That's just wild conjecture, but conjecture, excuse me. But um, yeah, that's kind of the COVID thing. Started off being about COVID. It's it's hard to like, it's hard to keep it all you know apart. At the same time, though, I mentioned Apple has done an amazing job of uh, executing on hardware, uh, which you know I know nothing about. Thank God, Adam Christensen is here. <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to dive into hardware for a little bit, I think, and talk about kind of the big stories for Apple in um, 2021 from the hardware side. And I think there's no doubt that we kind of have to start with the hardware transition to Apple Silicon. And it's amazing to me and probably to a lot of you because I realized we've now been through three transitions, four different processors. Um, and Apple is about a year into their two-year transition, what they said would be a two-year transition to Apple Silicon, and they've given us some incredible, very exciting hardware. I would, I would argue to say that like this is one of the most exciting times to be a, a Mac person, um, and I don't think many people would disagree with me, 
Um, and what's interesting to me about this transition too is it marks our return to risk processing um, with the ARM. Now, Apple licenses the ARM instruction set from uh, ARM Holdings out of the UK. Um, and they actually design their own processors. So what we're dealing with is, you know, licensing an instruction set. Apple actually designs all of their own processors, and most of them are made and manufactured by Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Corporation. And that relationship has been obviously very fruitful for Apple, started with the A-series processors, and now we have the M1 system processors, the system on a chip designs, combining CPUs, GPUs, IO controllers, ISPs, neural engines, security ships, all in a single architecture. They have the unified memory architecture. Um, all of this stuff going to facilitate basically what Apple wants to do with their hardware and where they were sort of held back or maybe uh, limited by some of the other companies. You know, they had a great relationship with Intel, but they realized with what they wanted to do with their designs, things like that, incredible, uh, performance with incredible power efficiency and uh, not, you know, keeping with the Steve Jobs mantra of wanting to not have massive cooling systems and fans, they realized they kind of needed to branch out on their own. And I mean, they really started this transition years ago, you know, maybe even decades ago, planning this out, hiring engineers and, and the staff. And it's really proven this year to be incredible. I mean, we had the M1s last year um, but this year they came out with the pro versions of those processors, the M1 Pro and the M1 Max, which just took things to a whole, a whole new level. So you've got 70% faster CPU performance than the M1. You've got a 10 core CPU design, eight high performance cores, two high efficiency cores. Um, you know, interestingly, uh, the same CPU in both the Pro and the Max processors which is easy to forget about uh, because the performance is so different, but that really comes down to the GPU side of things. So you've got up to 32 core GPUs in the max. Uh, they really ramped up the, the RAM, a big complaint, I guess, of the original M1s. Well, if you could levy a complaint against, against a, uh, an incredible processor coming to the Mac was, you know, you were limited to 16 gigs of RAM. Uh, Apple ramped that up this year with the Pro, with the Pro and the Max to 60, up to 64 gigs of RAM. I also increased the memory bandwidth in that processor design. So incredibly fast, 200 gigabits for the Pro, gigabits per second for the Pro, 400 gigabits per second for the Max. And then, of course, they recognized their market for these for these processors. You know, video professionals. Um, YouTubers, all those sorts of things, and you know, took it, the the processing for video, not only uh, containing you know acceleration for um, for MPEG video, but moving that to ProRes, right? Apple's ProRes. So you've got ProRes accelerators in both processors, a single in the in the Pro and duals in the Max. So, like, just super exciting time for Apple hardware. And so the processors, I think, really were the star of the show. Um, but related to that, we saw a bunch of uses for those processors, right? We saw a bunch of great Mac hardware. And like I said at the beginning, I think it's super exciting time to be a Mac fan. And, and it felt for many years with iPhones and iPads like the Mac was maybe a little bit left behind. Um, but they kicked things off early in the year with a great new redesign of the iMac. 
Um, I don't know if any of you have the 24-inch iMac. I, I have a hard time not buying one, even though I probably don't need one just because they're beautiful, great colors. Um, they leverage the M1 architecture that Apple introduced with the 13-inch MacBook Pro, MacBook Air, and Mac Mini. So eight-core CPUs, eight-core GPUs, great performance, that up to 16 gigs of RAM. What was amazing about the iMac design is I think it really realized the sort of design goal of kind of having a single sheet of glass. They're incredibly thin, 11.5 millimeters. Um, they brought the MagSafe connector, which was an interesting decision to, to the iMac and um, brought, you know, really innovative things like the ethernet port on moving that to the power brick so that it wasn't on the machine. Cause literally um, once you move that thin, you have issues like you just don't have the space. Uh, the headphone jack is, of course, on the bottom of the display because the headphone 3.5 millimeter headphone jack is actually uh, too deep to fit in, in the in the thin architecture of the uh, of the iMac. So cool new designs, great new system, and that was like right at the beginning of 2021. And then, of course, they followed that up later in the year in the fall with the anticipated update of the pro systems using those M1 Pro, M1 Max chips with the 14-inch, 16-inch uh, MacBook Pros. That's where they introduced another thing. I think, Ken, I can't remember if you mentioned this, but this was in the early predictions for the analysts that Apple would be moving to mini LED technology. So this is where we see the introduction of the, well, I guess we really saw it earlier with the iPad Pro, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, but really the move to the what Apple calls their liquid retina XDR display. Uh, mini LED backlighting with dimming zones, which again helps with the power efficiency and performance of the displays. Also bringing the 120 hertz variable refresh rate, another technology that is really centered around providing power efficiency and performance. So you get great scrolling capabilities, but it adapts um, so that it can use less power when you're not scrolling around as much. Uh, it really adds to battery life and performance. Um, and another thing about the pros that was super exciting this year was bringing back and really listening to the pro community about ports and what they need in these machines. So uh, a lot of people know with the uh, earlier models, uh, six, like the 16 inch MacBook Pro, like I have, um, Apple went to just simply Thunderbolt USB C ports and that didn't really serve the professional market as much as, as they wanted. Uh, pros want things like HDMI ports, SD card slots. Uh, MagSafe was a huge loss. And all of that stuff returned in 2021, which was super exciting. And <laughs> seems like a silly thing, but a, a big one for me was finally uh, introducing a, a true 1080p FaceTime camera on their pro, their pro systems. Um, you know, the fact that they didn't have that was kind of crazy. And of course, with all that performance, you get great battery life, 21 hours of battery life. Um, and, uh, and so really, again, I think we have some of the best Macs this year that we've ever seen and, uh, it's creating a lot of buzz and excitement. So kind of what's next, um, just looking briefly into 2022, we're expecting M1, uh, MacBook Pros and essentially what, it's looking like that's going to be is basically doubling the M1 Max and quadrupling the M1 Max. So we're talking things like 20 core CPUs, 64 core GPUs, or even 40 core CPUs and 128 core GPUs. So just incredible for, I can't even imagine with the performance of the current systems, 
it's 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 almost unfathomable to think where the where the machines are going in 2022 and then we're also expecting of course a 27 inch version of the iMac some are, some people are calling it the iMac Pro uh, it may be the first system where Apple introduced kind of the next generation faster clocked version of the M1 processor the M2 so that's everything that's happening with Mac I know Ken you're not you're not a Mac person, but like, how can you not be sort of just jazzed up about I'm a stuff? Mac person, dude. I'm talking to you on a Mac right now. Well, I mean, like, you're not a hardware person, you said. You're not a hardware person, again. that's like, true. This stuff gets me going. I don't know about other people in, in the group here, but like, I get well, super excited about this stuff. Here's the thing, and I actually wanted to ask you about that. Like, how do you convince somebody? Because I don't have a hard time convincing somebody who's been using a Chromebook or just like whatever, you know... Uh, less than stellar windows machine than a mac is what they want to use and i will tell them it's going to take them usually a few weeks before they're really as comfortable in front of that machine as they are in front of another but i can give you a million reasons why you'd want a mac where i start to get a little confused is you know like so who needs a mac and who needs a mac pro because there are lots of people who think well i need a mac pro because you know i'm a pro and it's like well what are you right. a pro at like, well i'm really good at checking email and, and going to facebook <laughs> i mean i mean but the thing is well i'm sorry i i I'm excited about it in theory. I always want the best thing that's going to be the thing that I need for me. But I bought a MacBook Pro the last time because I thought I might get into video. And I got into video a tiny bit, and then I got out of it again. And and I'm not I'm not dissatisfied with this machine, but I do... I don't get as excited as you. But then what's funny is I think about... I'm glad you brought up the possibility of a Mac Pro because I had you on one of my shows, and I said... I think I basically said something to the effect of, okay, so what does that give us? And I thought I could hear your head explode <laughs> because <laughs> you seem to think that I was saying, I, I, I don't get it. And what I was really saying was, I don't get it, but not like in a, not in a, I don't understand why anybody would want that more of a, I'm like a goldfish staring at a piano. I don't know right, what that kind it. of, what, what, what that kind of architecture would maybe do for me, I guess is sort of my thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, again, I think the kinds of people that are getting excited about this are, you know, people working in academia, science, uh, mm -hmm. technology. You're talking about folks who are maybe uh, developers or programmers. You're talking about folks who are in Hollywood, right? Mm -hmm. And what it gives them, of course, is not sitting around waiting for render things to happen or, you know, to be able to realize your creative vision in real time where you kind of can't today, right? So I think even us as podcasters, we can relate to that, right? Or any anybody can relate that. Anybody who's seen a spinning beach ball or a, a progress bar on their machine can kind of relate to that. Now, where you fall in that continuum, right, is a whole is a whole different story. And I think you have to hit the nail on the head, right? It's just like it's amazing to think that our consumer level machines are now basically something that pros would have dreamed about even a year or two ago right yeah and so like that's that's the exciting part about the hardware hardware to me and actually that that's a great transition into like the last thing that i want to talk about with relates to that relates to hardware in 20 or not that relates to hardware in 2021 but in this kind of section is the m1 chip coming to the ipad pro right so that was the other thing is like the m series processor is basically you know, based on the same technology, same design concepts and systems as the A-series, same instruction set, um, because of the power efficiency, because of all of those reasons that make it a great Mac processor, Apple also, you know, decided, hey, this makes a great 
iPad processor as well. And so we saw the M1 going into an iPad and where that sort of relates to what we're talking about is it kind of has unrealized potential because it's really now up to the developers to figure out how to push the iPad to the next level. And that, that sort of opens up the ability for them to do that. Again, they added other technologies like the mini LED display, the Liquid Retina XDR display, 120 hertz refresh rate. A big one for the iPad Pro this year, too, was bringing 5G, which, you know, 5G is, is going to be the big thing in 2022 to drive iPhone sales, especially on the lower market. We're expecting an update to the SE2. Uh, Apple replaced the the lightning connector on the iPad with Thunderbolt. So it's really moving the iPad more into that realm of being a more like a, a desktop system, a Mac, but it's still an iPad and it's got all those things. And they inter- introduced some new technologies that haven't even made it to the Mac yet, which I'm a little dis- disappointed about. Things like center stage with the wide angle FaceTime camera. So lots of exciting things happening this year in um, in Mac hardware. And iPad hardware, I guess, too. Just all centered around Apple Silicon. Are they ever gonna? Are they ever gonna just go ahead and start calling the uh, the processor in the iPhone <laughs> Pro an iPhone Pro Max M? Whatever is it going to be powered by I, the M1? That is a great question, right? I mean, it has it has the potential. I I think right now the differentiating factor is as much as yes, the M1 is incredibly power efficient and power performant to really push it to its limits it still requires some active cooling, right? So we still have fans. They don't come on in our, in our, in our MacBook Pros, but as frequently, but if you're really pushing them, they do. And I guarantee you, like when we get to the, to the dual and the quad that we're going to see in the, in the Mac Pros, there's going to be some serious cooling systems in there. And you just don't have the space or capability to do that currently in iPhone, but you know, will they, will they change that naming that, that remains to be seen. I think they'll keep it separate for a little while, but I could see it merge at some point. It sounds like a great, uh, great way to start selling more accessories, though. It's a MagSafe <laughs> case with a fan, maybe, or you put right. it in the freezer and then you take it out and, and you go. Hey, it's me, Adam, back in the present again. We are going to get back to Ken Ray and the top stories of 2021 with the Silicon Valley Mac users group. But I need to take a moment here and uh, thank a sh- couple of show sponsors, starting with Coinbase. Hey, do you identify yourself as crypto curious? If you've ever thought about entering the world of cryptocurrency but felt a little overwhelmed, Coinbase makes learning to buy and sell simple. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources, and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just get started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash maccast. Sign up at coinbase.com slash maccast for $10 in free Bitcoin and this offer is only available for a limited time, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash maccast. And a big thank you to Coinbase for their support of the show. And I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Notion. You know, with hybrid work becoming the norm, the strongest teams have two things in common. 
speed, and alignment. Both come from having one hub where everyone can share work and processes, manage projects, and collaborate with clarity. For companies of all sizes, Notion provides one central and customizable workspace that can be tailored to fit any team and bring all teams together to get more done and move faster. Notion is an all-in-one team collaboration tool that combines note-taking, document sharing, wikis, project management, and much more in one space that's simple, powerful, and beautifully designed. Having worked in companies where workspace apps were separate, I can tell you that Notion's approach of combining everything in a single integrated tool is a huge advantage. It also has a great clean interface that makes it easy to use, Plus, there's a native Mac app for both Intel and M1 systems, so it'll work well and integrate well with your favorite computer. And with powerful integrations and seamless navigation, you'll have everything you need in one spot so you can make speed your advantage without the silos and context switching that slows companies down. Plus, Notion has a worldwide network of millions of users creating templates, tutorials, and inspiration. The product is getting better all the time, and you'll always have the support you need. Find out how Notion may be the missing piece your team needs to grow and get more done, and delight everyone who uses it in the process. Learn more and get started for free at Notion.so. You can check it out on your own and invite as many folks as you want to see how it works. Take the first step toward an organized, happy team today, again, at Notion.so. That's Notion.so. And a big thank you to Notion for their support of the MacCast. All right. So for my next bit, I wanted to talk about actually two things that Linda talked about in her news this week. And it's kind of crazy to think about how like once something becomes news for Apple, it's just going to stay news for a very long time. Um, I wanted to talk together about the NS group, NSO group uh, yep. story and the expanded protections for children. They're not really the same story, but I'm going to, I'm going to fudge it and say they are for two reasons. First of all, Adam and I had divided stuff up and I had more than he did. So I'm making this one. But the other reason um, is because I really think that both of those actually sort of made consumers stop and think about not only all of the information they have on their phones, uh, but how that information might be accessed by someone else or what people might be able to learn from it. And like Linda said, I'm sorry, I keep saying like Linda said, and I realized that people who are watching the recording did not hear what Linda said. So I apologize. Earlier, before we started, Linda was doing a news story about the NSO group. And she said, listen, you're not a target of this because you're not. Unless you are a captain of industry, a politician, an activist or a journalist, you're not a target of this. And then most of those people are also not targets from this either. But... NSO Group had a piece of software called Pegasus, and Pegasus is a zero-click uh, bit of spyware. The, the user doesn't have to do anything, or the target, rather, doesn't have to do anything. It's always relied before on either having physical access to the phone or tricking that person into downloading something, clicking on a link, doing something like that. And now, all of a sudden, um, you didn't have to do that. Now, uh, Apple's um, uh, senior vice president of software engineering, Craig Federighi, said, look, they're spending millions and millions and millions of dollars doing this. And so that tells you two things. First of all, it's not the easiest thing in the world. And second, it's not happening to you because of the millions and millions and millions of dollars, as we say. 
NSO group says they would never sell to anybody who would do anything wrong. The problem is they're governments and they're selling to governments. And sometimes governments do things that we don't all like, including going after people who are protesting against the government or going after people who are reporting on the government. Sometimes members of a government have been going after other members of the government using Pegasus. When I say the, I don't mean here in the States, as far as we know. I mean, probably not. Certainly you'd like to think, but we don't really know. So Apple is suing an SO group to stop them from being able to uh, do that and uh, use it. They're not only trying to get them to stop using Pegasus, they're trying to get them to stop using any Apple software or hardware at all to make sure they just keep their mitts off of it. I kind of like the fact that when Apple, because they're not just suing to stop them, they're also suing for restitution, but they're going to take that restitution and give it to organizations that are researching and finding out this information. It's a bit disappointing to find out that it wasn't Apple that found out about Pegasus. It was Amnesty International, and I cannot remember the other organization, but there's a security side. Probably this, this the researchers at Citizen, Citizen Lab, who is yes. one of the organizations that Apple's going to fund with the, with the proceeds right. from these lawsuits. That's right. It's Citizen yeah. Lab out of Toronto, I think. And then uh, I can't remember what Amnesty's tech side is called. But uh, anyway, Apple, yes, they're donating to both of those organizations. And then any money they win from the suit, they're going to donate to those organizations as well. So that's really a very good thing. As far as the uh, expanded protections for children, there were three things going on here. The first is when somebody asks uh, Apple's virtual assistant, for either information about if they feel like they've been victimized by child exploitation, or if on the other hand, they're going out looking for stuff that they shouldn't be looking for, if they're looking to basically victimize children, there's a whole new set of answers coming from Apple's virtual assistant and search that basically try to intercede, that try to be, try to direct people to resources that could help them rather than just, you know, serving them the information or, you know, not knowing what the heck they're talking about. Absolutely nobody has any problem with that. The other two parts people had a couple of problems with. Um, There was a thing that Apple has actually gone ahead and put in where if on a kid's account, the child is either sending or receiving uh, images that it looks like have nudity in them. Originally, Apple's plan was they were going to say to the kid, hey, are you sure you want to? And that was followed by, okay, but if you do, we're going to tell your parents. And a lot of people had a problem with that one because you don't know that the person controlling the family account is actually the parent. And then you're also just opening them up to a world of potential recrimination from the parent as well. I, it's kind of weird to me that that was the sticking point, but okay, Apple said, fine, we're going to go ahead and keep warning the kids. We're going to keep telling the kids it's okay. They don't need to look at this image. They don't need to send this image, but if they go ahead and do it anyway, that's between them and you know whomever. Apple is not notifying the parents at this point. Um, the other thing that really lit the internet's hair on fire is Apple is planning to match photos that are either stored in iCloud or photos that are uploaded to iCloud against child sexual abuse material, or CSAM, as it's called. They're not going to be looking at the picture, (laughs) but they're going to take the picture. They're going to turn it into a hash. They're going to have taken all of this other uh, known CSAM, turn that into a hash as well. And so even though they're not laying the pictures over each other, they're laying the hashes over each other. And if those hashes match, they know pretty much what's in your picture. I'm surprised, actually, Apple is letting 
more of those than I would be comfortable letting through through there. I think 30 is the number they said around 30. If you got around 30 of those in your iCloud account, then they're calling the cops. You know, they got one or maybe two because one could be an accident. It's just surprising to me. They're going that high um, on that number. But anyway, Apple has gone ahead and uh, they, they did that. They did the Siri thing and the, uh, and the search thing immediately. They, with 15.2, they did the thing where if a child is sending a picture that may have probably has nudity in it, they're going ahead and warning that child. And, uh, and Apple has removed uh, the part about CSAM from their website, but they're still doing it. So uh, Apple actually, um, I think it was around the same day that the 15.2 update came out. So about a week ago, as this is being recorded, uh, they, they took that part off their website. And a lot of people assumed that that meant that Apple had backed down, that they had relented, that the people who were against it won. And then The Verge got in touch with, I want to say it was Shane Bauer, a spokesperson for Apple, I believe. And forgive me if I got that name wrong, but they got in touch with a spokesperson from Apple. And he was like, yeah, no, we just took it off the website. We're still doing it. The plan's still the plan. We're going to do that. Uh, Removing it from the website has nothing to do with it, which that's... That's like amazing to me. I think it was uh, Philip Elmer DeWitt over at Apple 3.0 who said, did Apple really think people wouldn't notice? And I don't think it's that. I think what Apple knows is that people are going to forget. People are going to forget and it's going to happen without anybody even knowing. And if you're fine with that, you're fine with it. And if you're not fine with it, it, you're going to forget either that or What's awful is then there started to be all these things like, so here's how you hide things you don't want Apple to know you have an iCloud. And I, I kind of don't want to let that information out because what they're fighting is awful. The question is how how they're fighting it. Is that yeah. okay? So I don't know. Thoughts, Adam? Well, what's a little amazing to me is that Apple's getting dinged for their transparency on this more than anything else. Yeah. Um, you know, like other companies do this. Actually, Apple's been supposedly doing a form of this for a long time anyway. But, you know, Google does this. Uh, other companies do this. You know, other photo services are doing these kinds of fingerprinting and scans and things like that. And ultimately it's for the, it's for the greater good. Now, obviously if you're big on privacy, this feels like a massive violation and it's totally understandable. Um, So it's definitely something worth debating. I I think the biggest thing for me is that Apple brought it out in the open and at least the conversations happening, right. And people are thinking about this. Um, Forgive me for interrupting. if, yeah. if I could, I don't think, because I don't believe anybody was saying we don't want you looking for child right. pornography no, in iCloud. The problem that everyone is having, and this actually ties more back into the Apple is able to see the picture I'm about to send before I send it and say, hey, are you sure you want to send that? Where a lot of people are getting upset is what about things that aren't illegal or that aren't illegal now? Things right. like... Have you ever gone to a meeting of the Communist Party? Have you ever gone right. to a a, 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 a a protest or a rally or something like that, where now we know they can read signs and they can literally recognize people? Obviously, that's been a thing for a while. And then uh, to scan that before it goes anyplace and say, hmm, like like what kinds of things five years from now might they be hashing to match in iCloud and how problematic would that be? That was the big issue. Nobody is going, hey, hands off my child pornography. 
well, and, 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 are, but. and the related side of that obviously is that, you know, the database that they're using now comes from the center for missing and exploited children, right? The, the fingerprinting right. database yes. that they're matching against. Um, but the question then becomes, and especially in light of some of the information that came out about the deals that Apple did with China is, what does it take for uh, an organization to say, well, I want you to match these fingerprints also uh, because you're doing business in our country and, you know, what have you. So the the political economic pressures that could be put on Apple to look for other types of images, you know, could be extreme. And so, yeah, these are, these are very pertinent things to worry about, right? Like I'm not, yeah. I'm try- not trying to minimize that in any way, shape or form, but I do find that the particular, you know, CSAM part of this story is, you know, there's other companies that basically have been doing this and just haven't been transparent about it. And so Apple comes out and, and is very upfront and sort of says, we're going to start doing this, right? And they get the biggest reaction. So, and again, it makes sense because it's Apple and, you know, they are a huge tech company. Yeah. And and they did also, as you say, I mean, it was their transparency. They came out and I mean, they, it's not like a secret reading three pages down or five pages down to the TOS. It is, hey, here's the thing we're going to do. Get ready. Right. So, yeah. Um, biggest thing, what, what, what would you, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Are you moving what? to iPhone 13? Well, I think I'm we done. <laughs> I think I'm done. So with that part yeah. anyway. Yeah. Talk Definitely to me about an iPhone. interesting story. I mean, my, my, my big, my, my favorite part about this story is, you know, NSO group, I'll just wrap up with the NSO group thing. Cause I didn't really comment on that too much. So um, there's, there's a great podcast called Darknet diaries. Jack Recyder is this great podcaster. If you want to know a lot more about this whole NSO, NSO group thing, look into that. But, you know, basically the, the, the problem with this company is they're selling these software tools to nation states they're claiming to kind of monitor it and say, oh, we're not, we don't allow them to do anything bad with it. But as we know, like Ken alluded to, governments, you know, they get the software, they get the technology, they're going to use it how they're going to use it. And the policing is really kind of on the surface when it really comes down to it. And so the fact that Apple is taking a stand and going after these guys, um, you know, for kind of what they've been doing, I think is something to, in my opinion, to be applauded, you know. Um, so I, I'm happy to see it happening. I mean, they're buying zero day exploits off of the dark web basically and, and keeping them for themselves. So, you know, finding zero day exploits. So the fact that, you know, we shut down forced entry, this, this no click exploit that they use for messages probably doesn't mean a, a lot to them because they have a stockpile of these things, you know, of zero days sitting out there to replace this one with the next one. So, something has to be done to sort of, to sort of stop this. And, you know, I, I, I thought this was a great story this year for Apple actually standing up and going after them because they're not just targeting Apple. They're, they're targeting everybody with this, with this software. So that's all I have to say on that. Cool. All right. Moving, let's move back to something a little more fun, like hardware, right? Uh, again, a lot of great hardware coming out from Apple this year. New iPhones, right? New iPhones this year. Apple's been um, constantly updating their iPhones. I think uh, a lot of people would probably say this was going back to our early co- earlier conversation, Ken, that this is more of an S year for iPhone. Uh, even though it went from iPhone 12 to iPhone 13, we didn't see a major redesign of the device. And that usually is what signals when it's that sort of you know, what do they call it? Super, super cell or super year or whatever. I always forget the terminology, but, um, you know, Apple came out with 
uh, a whole new lineup, iPhone 13, iPhone 13 mini, iPhone 13 Pro, Pro Max. Uh, we got the new A15 Bionic chip. The big news there was a uh, new five-core GPU, uh, improved wide-angle cameras, especially on the Pro models. We get new features like the cool cinematic mode, which does that adaptive focusing, which is a lot of fun. Uh, also, again, going back to <laughs> the Super Retina ProMotion displays, this was a big year for ProMotion, 120 hertz variable refresh rates. And then um, also kind of a big year for Apple in the hardware side of things with um, trying to bring ProRes. So we got ProRes video support uh, coming to the Pro model as well. So... Uh, I don't have a whole lot on iPhone. Again, it was kind of an S year, uh, iterative year. I think a lot of folks are looking to see more happen with the iPhone 14. Uh, I think the latest news on that was like this week. There seems to be some indication that we might get a, a huge jump in megapixels on the wide angle camera, 48 megapixels. Um, up from, I want to say the current is 12. So pretty big leap. It sort of it kind of goes back to the question I was asking you earlier about can you tell like you know an upgrade cycle year? I mean, are we not to the place kind of like I always think we are with the Mac, where it's like oh, it's time for me to get a new iPhone. I'm going to get the best iPhone or the best iPhone for right. me. I mean, we're we both know people. You might even be one. I can't remember who buy iPhones every year. Yeah, I get one every year. Okay, I like I get one. I probably would have skipped this year if we hadn't already promised the phones that we have to or had to you know kids down the line right. basically <laughs> that said 5g is a game changer and nobody has actually been able to say clearly why 5g is such a game changer because you say it's faster and it's like well right. but it's already fast enough so it's fine i notice a difference with my 5g but nobody has been able to say that well enough to me to make me want to buy it because i didn't right. get the 12 and if i hadn't promised my phone away if i hadn't promised my 11 away like i say i wouldn't have gotten the 13 and yet i love it it still feels like a new phone four or five months yeah. later. yeah i think the really interesting thing with um with iphone and 5g is actually more happening probably in 2022 and it was a you know uh, reports coming out this year we're expecting an update to the entry-level iphone se the iphone se2 which is you know apple's 4.7 inch model from hardware perspective it's not very exciting right it's the same design as basically i think an iphone 7 i want to say so you still got the touch id you still got 4.7 inch display but they're expecting a processor update to like an a15 maybe an a14 depending but um it's going to get 5g and because it's that entry-level model there's a huge potential for android switchers and so they're expecting that to sell really, really well. And, you know, I think, you know, again, 5G, there's a lot of people that were early adopters this year with, you know, from from Apple, obviously, with Android devices, they were in much earlier. Um, but now that 5G rollouts are wider spread, I think um, that's where you're going to see, you know, more people moving to 5G this year. So I, th I think, again, that that also adds to this, like, you know, S year, super, super selling year, super sell year, whatever they call it, right? Super cycle. I think you're looking for super, super cycle. cycle. That's, that's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Yeah. So iPhone 14 may be a super cycle year for a number of reasons, including some of the COVID things you, and supply chain things you were talking about, because it turned out uh, because there was a shortage, uh, there's a theory that because there was a shortage of iPhone 13s, Apple couldn't meet demand 
obviously you couldn't get in early. So now you're looking like, oh, well, I'm, am I going to buy an iPhone 13 in 2022 when I know I can get a 14 in a few months? And so a lot of people, might, there's, there's a feeling a lot of people might just hold off. And so that will, again, contribute to that super cycle. Hmm. Um, it's interesting, actually. I like, I like that you're talking about uh, the iPhone 14. Because the next thing I wanted to talk about were the imaginary products that have like really driven people crazy this year. Um, going back again, looking over the scripts for this year uh, in preparation for tonight. Um, actually, I, I skipped a part that I wanted to do. I got to interview Michael Gartenberg long before he worked for Apple, back when he was still working for Jupiter Research or whoever it was, uh, around 2009. And I asked him about something like, couldn't Apple one day do this thing or whatever? And he said... Um, nothing will ever be better than the imaginary Apple product. And that's what we've got now. I mean, all the excitement around the car, which the first three months, and I had totally forgotten this, but the first three months of 2021 were, oh man, Apple's about to partner with Hyundai. Wait, no, they're not going to partner with Hyundai. They're partnering with Magna. And there's a, there's a car plant that's not doing anything down in Georgia. And Apple's about to start there and they're going to start rolling cars off the line. I think it was about 100,000 a year starting in 2023 or 2024. And of course, all that just you know, completely vanished. And yet all throughout the year, we're still getting uh, Apple car stories. 50% of the time, it's about, oh, so-and-so left. It's obvious there's a brain drain at Apple in the car and the whole thing's going to fall apart. And the other 50% is uh, you should see one driving down the street uh, in the next two to three years. Um the thing that I'm most excited about, and this is just my own nerdery, but it's been it's been more and more of a thing lately, more and more of a talking point lately, is uh, Apple getting into uh, AR, uh, augmented reality, virtual reality with a mixed reality headset. Ming-Chi Kuo said at this time last year that it was going to happen in 2021. He has since come out and said it's going to happen by the second quarter of 2022. Wait, scratch that. Fourth quarter of 2022, but he's got reasons each time for why. And if you're wondering what the reasons are, yeah, you know, pick up any paper because the supply chain over the past few months and the chip shortage as well have, have both been uh, kind of insane. The thing that was really fun, and I, I mentioned this earlier, Morgan Stanley and Liz Katie Hubert, he said, right, it's time to start thinking. If you're going to invest in Apple, it's time to start thinking about Apple Car and it's time to start thinking about augmented reality and virtual reality. These are things that Apple is going to get into. And if you think it's silly to think about those things, she said in 2014, Apple did not have a wearables business. Today, Apple's wearables business is the size of a Fortune 120 company. Five years ago, people weren't sure that Apple was going to be able to make any kind of headway in services. Uh, their services segment is now a $70 billion annual revenue driver uh, doubling over the past four years. Of course, she would be the first to say what everybody says. Past performance is not indicative of future results, but we know Apple is getting into a car, she says, and we know they're getting into augmented reality and virtual reality, and it's time to start thinking about that when you think about investing. I don't own any Apple shares. I'm just excited that she's excited enough about that to say, right, that's a real thing that's happening. And uh, pay attention to that because I'm a nerd and I want an AR VR helmet, not one to go out walking with, one to sit around my house with, but the AR VR helmet that you sit around your house with eventually gets you the glasses that you can go walking down the street with, uh, street with I think. Um, it's always kind of weird to me that other people don't get as excited about augmented reality and virtual reality as I do. And especially, or they don't get as excited about it as they do about the car. But I think it's because we all understand cars 
Adam and I were talking earlier this week. He's not 100% certain what his use case would be for augmented reality. And I am not sure what my use case for augmented reality would be either, but I'm really excited about it. I mean, go back to when the first iPhone came out, there were so many people who were like, well, I don't need that. I just need my phone to make phone calls. I met somebody in 2016 who was very proud of the fact that she still only had a flip phone because all she needs her phone to do to make was to make phone calls. And otherwise, I mean, we all get the value, I think, of, of, a, of a smartphone. Um, that to me is what AR is going to do for us at some point. We're not necessarily going to know why when we initially get it, but you look at things like, uh, there was a report about a month ago, I think that said that Apple over the next 10 years would like to replace iPhone with augmented reality. Uh, you have Tim Cook saying things like augmented reality is going to be a thing where one day we're not going to understand how we lived without it the same way today. We don't understand how we live without a smartphone. Um, it's all really exciting. I think it needs to get in the hands of developers. I think the AR, VR, mixed reality thing is basically going to be, Adam actually had one of my favorite quotes years ago. We are Apple's test kitchen, but we're paying. We're paying a ton of money to be right. Apple's test kitchen. And I'm lining up. I mean, I said the other day on Mac OS Ken, shut up and take my money because I'm ready. I'm ready to be the guinea pig on this thing because um between my excitement about it for I don't even know how many years now, Tim Cook's stated excitement about it, you can't get him to state excitement about cars. You can't get him to state excitement about crypto. You can't get him to state excitement a lot of times, but just mention augmented reality. And that's the next minute of Tim Cook talking about how amazing that's going to be and how excited he is about it. And yet we haven't seen what Apple's going to do. Fingers crossed it's 2022. I would have bet on 2021. But um, the fascinating thing to me is how things that don't even exist yet ended up being two of the biggest stories uh, for Apple in 2021. Are you going to talk about the hardware of AirTags? Or are you going to talk about the the problem with AirTags? <laughs> the problem with AirTags? No, I was more going to focus on the hardware. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're kind of, we when we were talking about this, we kind of thought it was interesting to transition to kind of from the more broad um, technology to the more personal technology and arguably one of the most personal technologies that Apple introduced in 2021 was their AirTag. You know, they're literally called personal item trackers. They, you know, are for tracking your things like your keys or um, your wallet or, you know, anything, your bag, anything you can actually attach them to. Um, and they leverage Apple's, uh, another one of Apple's designed chips, the U1, which is their ultra wideband technology, um, which has cool things like the closer that you get to the item, you can actually really track the distance and the position. So that really aids in finding something like your keys. They have a built-in speaker. Um, interestingly, it's a product from Apple that actually includes a replaceable, a user replaceable battery. Uh, so you can actually open it up, put your battery in there. It leverages Apple's Find My Network, uh, which is really cool uh, because it actually kind of, it uses a mesh network basically when you lose your, your, your device to take advantage of the billions of Apple devices that are out in the world to help you find your item again, right? It, it finds nearby Apple devices that are connected to the internet and, you know, basically phones home in a secure manner that Apple has put together. So you can find 
uh, your item that way. Also, if you happen to pawn somebody's lost AirTag item, uh, you can use the NFC in your phone to tap it and they can it can bring up the contact information so you can return it to your owner. Uh, obviously, now we're dealing with some security uh, potential security issues around the trackers. Um, but Apple tried to compensate for that as well. They built in, you know, a feature where if an unknown quote unquote unknown air tag or an air tag that's not tied to your phone is somehow attached to you or following around, it will actually notify you, give you the ability to disable it um, and be aware that, you know, you are being tracked. So yeah, very definitely a very personal piece of technology and sort of leveraging, um, you know, a lot of the other bits and pieces that Apple have built over the years with their cloud and their and their chip technologies and, and those sorts of things. So that was another big item of 2021 from a hard, hardware perspective. If we were doing this a week from now, I wonder if you might either change or add a HomePod Mini. Because there's a story that's actually going to be, as as we sit here and do this live, there's a story that's going to be on Mac OS Con tomorrow that they've apparently doubled their share of the smart pe- smart speaker market, Strata General mm-hmm. says it was like five percent last year. It's ten percent this year. Wow! And everybody yeah. credits the ninety nine dollar HomePod Mini because before that, Apple smart speaker was four hundred dollars. And it turns out you can you can you can get a, a bigger piece of the pie if you make the pie uh, cheaper. <laughs> I think Apple learned that with the with the iPod, right? Yeah. <laughs> so they kept getting smaller and cheaper and and more affordable to to more people. I think. I think feature set also really, really helps, right? I think they've really kind of expanded what you can do with HomePod, um, expanded series capabilities and those sorts of things. Um, I love my HomePods. I love my original HomePod and I, I do definitely have a HomePod mini. And, you know, some of the cool things like the NFC technology, the ability to, if I'm listening to a song on my HomePod, move my iPhone just over to it and magically it transfers that song immediately to my to my iPhone and then I can walk out the house and continue listening to my music. It's, it's kind of just like one of those magical experiences that Apple was able to create with their hardware and software integration and little things like that feel gimmicky, but they also, I think sell products. It's just like, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, really quickly, there were um, uh, some honorable mention stories that we wanted to mention because uh, this one thing that I was thinking about, like if you had gotten two other people up here to talk about this or other stories that would have been their most important for the year, or the number one story for them for the year, sure. Apple's move in the racial equity and justice initiative, I think is huge for a number of cities around the country and, and also their entrepreneur camps uh, where they're bringing people uh, to Cupertino. Well, they're probably not bringing people to Cupertino now, but they're doing... They're reaching out to marginalized communities and saying, yes, we're going to give you uh, the kind of training that you might not have been able to have before. We're going to give you the kind of network that you might not have been able to have before. I'm thinking about the entrepreneur camps for women and entrepreneur camps for black founders and things like that. That's huge. Uh, the epic uh, Fortnite fight with Apple, both Adam and I were like, I can't. I just, I can't. So we didn't. Uh, Fitness Plus, I mean, could be huge. And, and of course, the sentiment against Apple from various governments, uh, both, you know, here in North America and around the world is always fun to follow. Uh, The one thing that we both did want to talk about, though, uh, to wrap up uh, was Apple TV Plus. And there's the little little streaming network that could. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's tiny and I know it doesn't have nearly the subscribers as, as others do, even though it costs less than most of the others without ads and without tracking you. Uh, I was kind of annoyed when before they even officially announced Apple TV plus uh, word was that they were going after content that would win awards. And I thought, well, that's, that's shallow. And then I realized, well, no, that's how a quality is recognized by awarding it. Um, and they won a ton of awards. You actually had, I thought you had numbers. You had numbers. Did you not? I had a, I had a few, I mean, I was just highlighting some of the awards that they did win, you know, AFI awards, critics, critics choice awards. Um, biggest one probably especially since a lot of the content is TV content, 11 Emmy awards. They won this past year. I think you had the total numbers, but you know, seven alone for Ted Lasso, which was an incredible series. Um, and actually one for outstanding comedy series, probably one of my favorite series on Apple TV plus. But I, I think the the point behind that is like, I have found, you know, I have all the streaming services. I have access to, you know, HBO, I have Netflix, I have Amazon, I have Apple TV plus, I have Hulu. Um, and I find myself coming back to Apple TV's content over and over again, I think for the quality, you know, Servant, is a show that I got into. I love Dickinson. I, you know, the movie content that the banker, the Tom Hanks hitch thing, I was wonderful. Um, that I think it's called Hitch, Finch. right? I'm getting Finch. that right. Finch, sorry. Hitch is that is the, uh, the Will Smith one, I think. Yeah, yeah. Finch, which was wonderful. Um, and uh, Greyhound, you know, I thought was a, a great movie as well. And I, I, I hate to say that I have not seen Coda yet. I'm waiting to watch that with my daughter, who's a, who's a huge film buff, but she's just been too busy to sit down and watch it with me. So, and that also has won amazing accolades and awards. So, you know, that focus on quality um, over quantity, I think has served it very well. And I, again, personally find myself coming back to it, you know, over and over again, not for, it's lack of content, but just because I keep just hearing great things about the shows that are on there. Yeah. Um, according to Apple's press releases, and this of course will change over the next month because we're in award season now, uh, 183 wins and 672 award nominations. That's across everything that they might've won an award for. That's what they've won. That's what they're up for. Acting award nominations currently, uh, Denzel Washington, Billy Crudup, Mark Duplass, Jennifer Aniston, nearly the whole cast of Ted Lasso, anytime there's anything they might win, uh, and uh, nearly the whole cast of CODA, which uh, Adam just mentioned as well. It, it, outside of the individual awards, though, the things that I'm most impressed with are the Peabody Awards that they won this year, um, and they won those for Stillwater and Ted Lasso. I feel like in the same way that Adam feels like he should watch Coda and so do I, I feel like I should watch Coda that is because I still haven't yet either. I really feel like I should watch all the kids stuff because they're doing a ton of kids programming, none of which is trying to sell you a toy. And, and the fact that they actually have a kids program, if you don't know what Stillwater is, it's based on a series of books and it's about, it's about mindfulness and it's about sort of calming yourself. And that's, you know, most things that we aim at kids, it's a guy with a sword and somebody else with a laser and they're all like running after each other and trying to save the world. And next week they'll do it again, right? Or tomorrow afternoon at 4.30, they'll do it again. And uh, and that they have a, a kid show that's all about uh, making sure that you're emotionally okay. 
that's mind blowing to me. And then of course, Ted Lasso uh, also won a, a Peabody. And I have sort of the same place in my heart for Ted Lasso that, uh, that Adam has. But my favorite part is I have a friend who just got tired of listening to me talk about it. And then he watched it and he, he was like, he was kind of embarrassed. He's like, it's, it's, it's made me better. I mean, he actually, he actually took some of what he had seen there and felt like he was being more kind to people. He was being more considerate of people. And when Tim Cook introduced Apple TV Plus, uh, what, what he let off with was the phrase, great stories can change the world. And not everything they have is going to do that, but they have a few that are. And, and I know because my friend told me that it changed his. Um, so that's kind of incredible. Hopefully, Apple TV Plus is you know the biggest story of 2022 as well. If they keep doing the same kind of quality content, that they keep doing the same kinds of stuff that really does have a good purpose, um, that'd be great to see. And I, to- I completely agree. <laughs> I completely yeah. agree. And um, I mean, I didn't watch Sid Lasso until you told me to. So oh, really, it was it me? Yeah. Okay, it was you. Oh, it was we right. were on a podcast and. I said, I haven't seen it yet. And you said, you need to. Yeah. And I said, I know. (laughs) And I immediately went and did it. (laughs) Yeah. I I, I think, I think actually I I wish Apple had an affiliate program because I've turned a few people on to Ted Lasso. I'm sorry, Apple TV plus. I wish that had an affiliate program because boy, that 50 cents would just be burning a hole in my pocket right now. Anyway, I think that's, that's all. That's all I have did you have anything else yeah, no so there you go the top apple stories of 2021 is seen by myself and ken ray from mac os ken if you're not already subscribed to mac os ken you can check his podcast out at macosken.com or on your favorite podcasting app and a huge huge thank you to the silicon valley mac users group for allowing us to come speak with them and actually uh, capturing this this audio content for us and allowing us to uh, use the audio for this podcast. If you want to check them out, you can go to svmug.org. That's S-V as in Victor, mug.org, to check out the Silicon Valley Mac Users Group. I'd also be curious to know if uh, maybe we missed a top story of 2021 for Apple, at least in your mind. We obviously covered the ones that we thought were most significant to us, but I'd love to know what uh, your stories were or just anything that you enjoyed about Apple in 2021 or were excited about. Shoot your emails or audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. But with that, that is going to kind of wrap up this episode. I do want to thank our show sponsor, Smile, makers of Text Expander. You can get more information and details on Text Expander by going to textexpander.com slash podcast. Bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can, come, and you can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at backbeatmedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment or question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM9, and you can leave a voicemail there. And if you need show notes, links to anything that I've talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find this on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, uh, you can find me on social media, uh, MacCast on Twitter. 
You can check out the MacCast Facebook page at facebook.com slash the MacCast or find me on Instagram, just MacCast on Instagram. But that will do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon. Mm-hmm.